Today, it's always a, a joy to uh, hear from Alex, and, and uh, I'm this, on this occasion uh, to be able to uh, help him out so that he and his family can enjoy, I'm sure, a well-deserved time of vacation and respite, and we do wish him the very best in that, and, and a revitalization of everything inside him uh, as he prepares to come back and pick up with the task. It's not an easy one, as was alluded to earlier, uh, but it's a holy work, and it's a necessary work, and uh, it's the only work I know of where there's specific promise that the Holy Spirit will give all that is necessary in terms of energy and strength and wisdom to do the work. I, uh, I find myself when in, I go to churches today uh, to supply, in most cases, uh, I find myself uh, feeling old, you know, feeling old. I know the elephant in the room is, where did he just go? When he left here and then came back, well, uh, you know, I can tell you this, when I was a 30-year-old preacher, I didn't have to sneak out, uh, but as a 73-year-old preacher, uh, there comes times that you just have to do what you have to do. And uh, so that's what I was doing. And now we are settled on that and might as well get that out of the way. I know it's not the most couth thing you can say from a pulpit. But, you know, I can just see you got rid of Mildred. Did he just leave to go? I wonder what he's well. Uh, now, now you know. All right. Uh, it's, uh, and I'm glad this is the father's house. I'm at my daddy's house. All right. And I'm with all my brothers and sisters. It's family. So when you got to do what you got to do, it's okay. It's family. You're at daddy's house and that's what daddy wants you to do. And uh, so that's what we did. I started to say a moment ago, though, I, I feel older and older when I go to these churches. My pastor, my own pastor is younger than my youngest child. Uh, now that just gives you an, and he's not a kid. I, you know, that just gives you an idea of uh, where I, I feel like many of you do, you know. But it's good to see the generations marching on, isn't it? It's good to see God calling up new young men and women to do kingdom work. And so uh, I'm enjoying myself being with this, uh, this young pastor and watching him and seeing so much of my own history uh, in this young man as he builds his ministry. And I do the same with Alex, both these guys, uh, my pastor, uh, Dylan Baxter and, and Alex. Or and Alex are both good friends and and uh, both NGU graduates and, and both, I think, Southern. I know Dylan was Southern. Alex was Southern, right? Yeah, I knew these guys were saved. Uh, so uh, anyhow, uh, and they were students, and, and now to get to go back and be a part of the work that they're doing and remembering their student life, I'm thinking, God, you are good powerful. Uh, you did do a great work. And so it's good to be here and sharing in that. Now, with that aside, let me get to my assignment today. I didn't receive any specific orders. Want you to preach on, want you to really hound on, want you to address. None of that. There was complete freedom to seek God. And that's exactly what I did. And uh, I don't know, maybe this message is a reminder to me 
that whenever I have one finger pointed at you, there are three more pointed back at me. I need what I'm sharing with you three times more than you need it. So uh, I'm not coming to you with any holier than thou. I am superior and you are the sinner uh, type of approach. Uh, this is something that God has to address regularly in my life because it is such a common, very human issue. And so to address it, we're going to look at probably the most human of the apostles. And already, I know, for most of you, a name springs to mind. When I say the most human, the most real, the guy that only opened his mouth to change feet, uh, the Apostle Peter. And I love Peter so much because I see myself in him. And I can fully identify with at least one character in the Bible. And that's Peter. Uh, what a man he was. Uh, and this is an occasion where Peter learned a vital lesson from Jesus. Now, you know, Peter was that guy that was guilty most of the time of saying and asking things he later regretted. But one thing we can say for him, whenever he spoke up, Whatever he did say, the, he usually spoke for most everyone in the room. Those people that were thinking the same thing but were too afraid to speak up and address it to Jesus. Well, Peter was their spokesman many times without even being asked. He just blurted out what he had to say. And Jesus didn't take offense to that. Now, he didn't let it you know, go, go along without being addressed, without Peter benefiting from it, because the blunders of Peter and the things that he said and the questions that he asked quite often that made everyone else gasp, that, that kind of thing, Jesus used to teach some of the most profound lessons, life lessons that we find in scripture. And where we're going today is one of those occasions, Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, now I'm reading from the New American Standard. Again, many years ago when I first started out doing this, and I've been doing this since 1967, you do the math. When I first started out, we just read the Bible and everybody had the same one. It was the King James, all right? Now there are many, many, many translations and some churches have adopted one as their church translation. Others, just everybody carries what they like reading best and that's all right too. But my favorite is still the New American Standard Bible. So I'll be reading from that, but if you have a copy of God's Word in a quality translation, it's going to read very close to the same thing. We're looking at Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. It's a long reading, but it is one that is really necessary for us to be able to gain the context, the background, the surrounding meaning to what Jesus is going to teach as a result of Peter's question. Verse 21, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, well, I don't say to you 
up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. 10,000 talents. Keep that in mind. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion or mercy. And he released him and forgave him the debt. All right, he, he wiped it off the books. Now the slave had begged, just give me more time to repay. And this master was so touched and so merciful that he wiped the debt completely out. Verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him, one hundred denarii. Keep that in mind. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. A repeat of a situation that happened only moments before. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. That's worth reading again. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed, verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? That's worth reading again. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And the Lord moved with anger. What's that in the Greek? I mean, the Lord went bonkers. He's moved with anger. And he handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Verse 35, we'll only read it once, so look closely. My heavenly Father, Jesus said, turning now back to face the guys with the story over. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Pray with me, Lord. I need your strength. I need your help. I need your clarity. I need your delivery power. I need your strength to create good memory. I need, Father, all that is necessary to deliver what I'm convinced you've given me to share with your people today. And I ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, we're going to look at four things today that are a part of this, this incident in Scripture in a message that I call Peter and Forgiveness, Getting It Right. That's what we want. It is an important issue in Scripture. It's an important issue in life, and so we want to be right about it. Not simply right in terms of what the culture says, not just simply right in terms of what others would say, well, common sense says, or our feelings say, but what does the Scripture say? Even if I have to move beyond my feelings to do it, I want to know what Scripture says, and I I want to seek God to do that right thing. So forgiveness and getting it right. The first thing is Peter had a problem. Verse 21, you look at that verse again. And Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, a couple of things to note. According to the text, Peter asked Jesus two questions. We just read them. But if you listen between the lines, it becomes obvious that he's actually making two statements in the form of two questions, and then following that up with one primary question. Statement number one, the issue of forgiveness, Peter might say, is tough to deal with. And we would all say amen. Amen. Uh, Maybe there's a name flashing through your memory right now. Maybe there's an incident flashing through your thoughts right now, and, and it causes you to say, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to forgive. I've not managed yet to release this person or myself from this situation and, and, and forgive and move on. I've not been able to do that. It's a, it's a tough thing. It's hard to deal with. But Peter would go on and say, I know it is important to you that we get it right, that we do it correctly. This makes it a spiritual issue. Statement number two, because forgiveness is a spiritual issue, there must be a godly response, a way you want me to respond in instances where forgiveness is necessary. So it's more than just a tough, heavy issue, more than just a social, cultural problem. Lack of forgiveness and forgiving is a spiritual issue. And you have ways that you want that handled, especially. And so I want to know what it is. Now, in Peter-like fashion, he went on to sort of plant in Jesus an idea of what it ought to be. He went on to say, is that response, it's the question, is that response to forgive seven times? After all, he could add, seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. It's the number of maturity. So that's the the religious answer, isn't it? That's the spiritual answer. It's a spiritual issue. Here's the spiritual answer, uh, I think. And we, we forgive seven times and we have done all that we are required to do. That is full. If we do five times, that's too short. If we do six times, we're still short, but we forgive seven times. And now it's complete. It's done. It's perfect. It's mature. It's filled out. That's all I have to do. Now, let's give Peter some credit. 
He knew when a difficult issue was actually a spiritual problem. Now, we need to be able to recognize the same thing. And he knew that God had an answer for all such issues. He knew that. We perhaps should remind ourselves of that. And if it, we remind ourselves of that and we face these difficult issues, then take them to the one who has the answer for them. And do what he says, not just so we're doing the right thing, but so that we're doing the godly thing, the spiritual thing. And forgiveness falls into that category. His question to Jesus, though, recognizes or exhibits one critical error. You ready? And it's one that we all make. He wanted to settle a spiritual question with a strictly religious answer. Let me repeat that. It's revealed in the way he approached Jesus. Here's the best spiritual answer I know of seven times. Now, is that right? Can you hear Peter? Lord, give me a rule. And that's what religion does. Religion gives us rules. Rules that tell us when we have met the requirements and we don't need to do any more. He was looking for a rule that would tell him when he had done enough. When he no longer had to forgive. That was the issue. Lord, how often do we forgive? Now, now can you read into his words? In other words, Lord, tell me when I can quit. Tell me when I've done enough, when I can say to that person or speak into that issue and say, look, I have done all that the Bible requires of me. I, I have fulfilled the rule and I don't have to forgive you anymore. Now I can get even. Now I know you're all so spiritual. You never felt that way before. About anything or anyone but I'm going to tell you something. This preacher has. That's why here and here. Three times more than you need it. I need it. Peter knew that rules set limits. And that's what he wanted. That's why people are much more willing to be religious than spiritual. Because spirituality, true spirituality, responds to grace. Religion is rules-based. Here are the rules. And when he, he wanted to know, what's the rules when I've done enough, when I no longer need to forgive? He could stop forgiving and take care of the problem himself. You might say Peter wanted to handle situations that required abundant grace with rules governed by legalism. Have you ever done that? You see, we, we enjoy the fact that God spreads his grace abroad in our lives. But we want rules set for us as to when we can stop doing that for others. Now before we scold Peter, let's ask ourselves, how often do we ask for the same kind of rule? Maybe not just about forgiveness. Lord, tell me when I have given enough. Tell me when I have served or sacrificed enough. Tell me when I have forgiven enough. 
As I said, we love the idea of God's grace applied to our own lives, but we often want strict rules set to set limits on our show of grace to others. And God's just not willing to do that. But it sounds almost like he is with what comes up next. Jesus had a solution. Verse 22. Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times. Seven. Wow. Now, some of you are doing the math. That's 490 times, and that is plenty of times to forgive an individual, 490 times. But I don't know that Jesus is being literal here with math, because Peter said seven based on the Jewish understanding of seven being perfection. So what is 70 times seven? That was also a part of Jewish thought. I can just hear, Jesus, you're right, Peter. Forgiveness can be a real problem, and I'm concerned about it. You're also correct that there is a godly answer to how often you should forgive, but that answer is not what you are thinking. You're looking for a number. You're looking for a rule. You're looking for a limit. For one thing, it is not what I've already said about forgiveness. And you see Peter go, oh, oh, yeah. You see, Jesus had already said several things about forgiveness. For example, in teaching in Luke 17, 4, Jesus said, and if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. In Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus said, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. We'll come back to that. Again, in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus said, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother before you even attempt to worship. Be reconciled to your brother and then, Come and present your offering. Come and present your worship to me. Listen, Jesus had said plenty about forgiveness prior to this event. Peter was present when Jesus said all these things. Just as you're present today. So he either didn't hear Jesus correctly or he only heard what he wanted to hear. Maybe he thought what Jesus really meant was forgive to the best of your ability. We hear a lot of that in the world today. You know, just do the best you can. Forgive to the best of your ability. Perhaps he thought what Jesus taught wasn't meant to be applicable to every situation where forgiveness was required. Uh, there are times that you kind of have to tweak this route. It could be that Peter figured he had the right to choose between what Jesus actually said and what those words meant to him. Ever been asked that? Read a verse of scripture. Now, what does that mean to you? 
as if it has different meanings for different people. Listen, after Jesus spoke about anything, he never recanted or backtracked. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said, and never did he give anyone the right to rephrase what he said based on their idea of what his words meant to them. And he doesn't give us that right either. Now, Jesus gives Peter a forgiveness rule at this point. You ready? A rule consistent with all he had previously taught. A rule based in grace and not in legalism. Here it is. Forgive 70 times 7. And as I said, that's a part of Jewish thinking in, in that period too. What did it mean? It meant infinity. It meant forever. More to our understanding, it meant as often as is necessary. Forgive. Forgive. He leaves no room for non-forgiveness. As often as is necessary, forgive. That's what he said, folks. Gerald. And that's what he meant. Third, Jesus had an explanation of what he was saying, and that's found in the lengthy parable, verses 23 through 35. What Jesus said must have come as a shock to all the disciples because Judaism was rather strict, and, and it had all of those rules. It was a religion of rules. So Jesus took the time to explain himself. He explained the rule in the first seven words of verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven. There's the seven words. First thing, for this reason. In other words, let me tell you why what I have said is true. Here's why it's true. For this reason. Next, the kingdom of heaven. It's true because it's a principle it's law, it's rule of the kingdom of heaven. It's a prescribed behavior in the kingdom of heaven. It's a characteristic of the members of the kingdom of heaven. And you're in that kingdom. I'm in that kingdom. And we're not there because he forced us. We're there because we asked to be born. Lord, save me. Give me new life. Rebirth. Listen, he doesn't force himself on anyone, but when we come to him, we get all that he has to offer, and that includes the kingdom laws. That includes the character of the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom, the teaching of the kingdom. And Jesus said, this is one of those. Forgive 70 times 7. So kingdom members... We may not be doing it, but we're all responsible to it. It is the character Christ wants to develop in us. Jesus now takes the time to explain, as I said, in seven words, he laid the foundation of why. But there's other things, too that he'll get to, particularly in this parable. 
We must never forget the great amount of forgiveness God gave and continues to give to us, number one. I think that's a pretty good rule, and we see that in this parable. Now, to make the point clear, Jesus shared the parable. It's about a merciful master and an unjust or evil servant and another servant. We don't know if he's unjust or just or whatever. He just owes a man. So there's three people in it. I read it to you. We find out that this evil servant owes his master 10,000 talents. All right? 10,000. Keep that number in mind. 10,000 talents. But he is forgiven. The debt is erased. 10,000 talents. He goes outside this unmerciful servant and he finds a guy that owes him a hundred denarii. Now that's a different currency. They were both used in the Roman Empire. So Jesus is speaking what these guys would understand, talents and denarii. Denarii was more the currency of just the regular people. Just common, hard-working, clock-punching men and women. All right, And a denarii, a single denarii, was usually one day's pay for that individual. So it wasn't worth as much as a talent. In fact, 6,000 denarii was one talent. Now back up and do some math with me. He was owed 100 denarii. That's a hundred times six thousand. Sixty thousand denarii in comparison. You see, we take the talents, ten thousand, and actually, when this guy went out and he's dealing with the other fella, they're both dealing in denarii, and he just walked out of a place and had a debt of sixty thousand denarii forgiven. Now, I don't know what that'd be in today's money. Doesn't really make any difference. 60000 of anything is a whole lot. For this guy that owed him 100 denarii. There's one other figure I want you to pull into mind. We got 10,000, 60,000, 100. One other figure. 0.17. One hundred denarii is point one seven percent of ten thousand talents. Not even near one whole percentage point. Can you see now why that master was so upset? Listen, what is Jesus saying to us? What is he telling us? He is telling us that no matter how large the offenses we're called upon to forgive, they will always be minuscule when compared to the enormous forgiveness Jesus poured out and continues to pour out on us every day. So why do we struggle with forgiveness? Perhaps it's a love issue. Considering the words of Jesus to the Pharisees when a woman that 
burst into a dinner where Jesus was attending and wanted to wash his feet and did wash his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. In Luke 7, 47, Jesus said, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who forgives little loves little. Hear Jesus Those who overlook the volume of their own sin Christ has forgiven will love Jesus little and forgive others even less. So maybe it is a love problem. Maybe it's an ignorance problem. Now, I don't mean to be offensive. If I was going to be offensive, I would say maybe it was an ignorance problem. You know, there's a difference between ignorance and ignorance. Or ignorant. Yeah, there you go. Ignorant. But I said ignorant, so I'm, I'm trying to be sophisticated about it. Maybe it is an ignorance problem. That we're ignorant of the fact that forgiving others is the only way, hear me, the only way to be assured of the daily forgiveness we all need. Folks, we're not there yet. There's none of us sinless. And none of us will be this side of heaven. Which means sin still crops up and gets committed. And that means we have a need for forgiveness every single day. Every day that we live before the sun sets today on this holy Sunday. You'll have a need for forgiveness, I'm sure. And he said, well let's listen to what he said. Matthew 6. Verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, don't you hate that word? But, if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Well, that, does it mean he takes back the forgiveness he offered that brought us to Christ? He took that sin away? No, 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 no. We're talking daily sin. Those sins that just crop up every single day, even among the deepest of the saved, that we're guilty of until they're gone. We need them forgiven. And he stands ready to forgive as we confess. For if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's at least one condition. And that is that you have forgiven others. And he says, if you don't, I won't. I wonder how many of us even today are walking around with the fences in us that we thought long since forgiven because we confess them. You know, we first John 1 9 them. But we've kept bearing animosity and unforgiveness in our heart. You want to get rid of those things? Forgive. Let go. Release. Finally, Jesus had a warning. 
It's verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. He's reflecting back on that parable and what the master did to this unjust servant where he reinstated that debt and he threw him in prison. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you. Boy, I like that. He, he understands us. He knows that we would hear something hard from him and say, well, I'm sure he's speaking over there to sister so-and-so. I, you know she's a busybody and she's just got all kind of things and she's just not forgiving. And, or brother so-and-so, yeah, this, he's talking to that person. No, Jesus is explicit. I've got enough ignorant to ignorant the whole world and I can understand this. Unless each of you, everyone in the room, everyone under the sound of my voice does not forgive his brother from his heart. From his heart. Some translations say forgive his brother sincerely. Looking back to the old Latin word sincere, it referred to cracks in pottery and many potters would make the pottery and they would crack and they'd go back and they'd take wax and fill in the crack and then paint it and sell them as first run primo stuff. No problems, no imperfections. And they got caught up with. So potters began to put a sign in their windows or their open stalls in front of their pottery and it would say, Sincere, literally meaning no wax. Unless you forgive sincerely, but nothing withheld, no ulterior motives, no conditions attached. You simply release, let go. Do I mean you're going to become the best friend that person ever had? Or what? Well, you might. It's amazing what forgiveness will do. But forgiveness simply refers to releasing them. Letting them go. Releasing them from yourself. Releasing them from <clears throat> what they did. Just releasing them. Letting go of it. Pushing it to one side. Perhaps this is what Jesus had in, or James had in mind when he wrote. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13. So what do we do? And I close with this. This is all. You can close your Bible. This next list is just theology according to Gerald. And you can do with it what you want to. But I think it's good advice. What do we do? Well, evangelist Dwight L. Moody, preaching on forgiveness... And releasing others, as well as yourself, said the first thing you need to do is pray about it. But before you pray about it, you need to pray about it. He called it a pre-prayer prayer. You need to pray this before you pray the really serious one. You need to pray these points. Number one, ask God for a list of those you need to forgive. Oh, I know. Oh, Lord, please. I, I don't want to bring that up. But ask him. Ask him. The same God that will give you the strength to forgive will give you the peace to deal with it. 
Number two, ask God for the desire and power to forgive. Forgive sincerely from your heart. Lord, help me to want to do this. You know me. I don't want to do this. (laughs) If I had what I wanted, well, it'd be ugly. I don't want to do this. Help me to want to do it and then give me the power to do it. Ask God to remind you of how many times he's forgiven you. We need to do this, I think, several times a day. Remind. You know, we we get the idea that we're not perfect, but boy, we're getting close. Because generally we're comparing ourselves to someone else. I'm closer than they are. Have him remind you of how much he has already forgiven you of. And then four. Ask God to tell you what it is that makes you worthy of his forgiveness. While the other person is unworthy of being forgiven by you. Ask God to tell you what makes you worthy of his forgiveness. While the other person is unworthy of being forgiven by you. Here's a good prayer. Father, help me to remember my own forgiveness and to love Jesus more than my personal hurts, grudges, opinions, or desires to get even. Amen. Bow your heads with me, please.